So let's pray. Oh, gracious God and heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. And we ask that through the power of the Holy Spirit, you work in us ever greater faith, ever greater trusting your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we are finishing our series called by faith. And so far we've had three examples of faith. We saw how God calls an unlikely sinner. That's Zacchaeus. Then we saw how Jesus actually sent his disciples into the storm. And while they were in the storm, he says, focus on me, not the storm, not the circumstances. And then last week we saw how God can take a dead and faithless nation and by his word bring a dead, faithless nation back to life. These are three powerful examples of miracles. Miracles that God performed, and within those miracles, faith was born, which in itself is a very powerful miracle. To have faith. When you have faith, you actually see in that miracle the power, the majesty, the might, the wonder, the holiness, the righteousness of God Almighty. And your faith is more than just an intellectual faith. It is more than just, I agree. It's a faith that says, I'm all in. That's the account that we've had these past three weeks. I'm all in. So I'm going to give you an example of the difference between just intellectual faith and being all in. Now, I've given this example, I don't know, three, at least three years ago. Some of you may have seen it, but we've had so many new people join us that I'm going to guess most of you may not be aware of this example. There was a fellow, Charles Blodin. He was a famous French tightrope walker. He was so well-known that his name became synonymous with tightrope walking. Just as we would say Harry Houdini for magic, Charles Blodin would be for tightrope walking. He was famous throughout the world. And one of his famous things that he did, he was the first person to walk on a tightrope across Niagara Falls. And this was in June of 1859. So the rope was a quarter mile long. It was 160 feet above the falls. Even talking about this makes my palms sweat. It took 23 minutes to cross Niagara Falls. And he crossed it several times, each with a daring feat. Once in a sack once on stilts. I remember one time he even bought a little stove out there and cooked a little snack on a stove. He rode on a bicycle. One time, blindfolded, he brought a wheelbarrow across Niagara Falls. And the crowd on the other side, they ooed, they awed, they applauded louder. So great was the applause that it drowned out the noise of the falls. And then Charles Blodin, he said, okay, you believe 
that I can take a wheelbarrow across the falls with a person in it. And they said, oh yes, we know that you could do that. And then he said, okay, get in. No one got in. You see, they had an intellectual agreement that he could do such a feat, but they didn't truly have faith in him. You see the difference between the two? One says, yes, I agree. One says, I'm all in. So the question before you this morning is, do you have faith in him who can move mountains? Is it just an intellectual? Yeah, well, yeah, of course God should do that. Or, yeah, I'm all in. So, we are going to go to Matthew chapter 17 and to understand what this means to have a faith in him who moves mountains. The context is Jesus, along with Peter, James, and John, have been up on the mountaintop, and it has been the transfiguration. And the disciples saw Jesus fully white, a brilliant white. And he was with Moses and Elijah, the law and the prophets. So they've had this mountaintop experience with Jesus. And now they come down from the mountaintop. That's the context of what happened just before this account. So we are going to go to Matthew. Chapter 17, and when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him and kneeling before him and said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and he suffers terribly, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples and they could not heal him. Now, normally Matthew gives a more detailed account than Mark, but here Mark adds in some detail. And so it says this in Mark chapter 9. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? So imagine. Imagine you're Peter, James, or John. You have just been up on the mountaintop. The transfiguration. You've seen Moses and Elijah. This wonderful mountaintop experience. And now you come down in the valley and people are bickering and arguing. There's two things I think I would realize. One, I'd rather be up on the mountaintop. Right? Because you got all these people who are arguing. There was no arguing. There was just this wonderful experience of God on the mountaintop. And the second thing, maybe after some contemplation, would be that the ministry of Jesus wasn't on the mountaintop. It was actually down in the valley. It was down where there is sin and depravity. It is down where there are broken relationships, where there's hatred, animosity, even among fellow believers. And what you start to understand then 
You see, Jesus could have stayed up on the mountaintop, right? He actually could have stayed in heaven. But he didn't. He came down to the world. You see, his love and grace and mercy didn't keep him from the world. It brought him down into the world. In the same manner, his love, his grace and mercy doesn't keep us on the mountaintop. It brings us down into the valley where the ministry occurs. You see, each Sunday we come here, kind of the mountaintop, right? To be refreshed, to be renewed by his word, to receive his grace and mercy, to receive the Lord's Supper. So we come here, we gather, but the ministry really happens not just here, but out in the rest of the world. His love, His grace, and His mercy doesn't keep us sequestered from the world. It moves us out into the world, into the valley. So because there are people who need to hear about His love, His grace, and His mercy. So coming down from the mountaintop, Jesus and the three disciples come across the Father. And the father's just full of heartache. His son has been having seizures for a long time. He often falls into the fire, into water. Mark's gospel also has the account that it makes him mute. Now, I want to be very clear about something. This was not just a father or people who were uh, ignorant or superstitious. They could distinguish between physical ailments and spiritual ailments as well. Some people say and claim that, well, they made everything into demons and other aspects because they just didn't know about things. Does that make sense, what I'm talking about here? But people back then could distinguish between physical ailments and spiritual ailments as well. The father, in in fact, says he's an epileptic. So, there's a physical ailment. There's also a spiritual ailment going on. And Jesus knew that it was demonic in nature. See, there's a physical and spiritual ailment as well. And he told his disciples to deal with both both the physical and the spiritual. See, if we actually compare Matthew chapter 10, these 12 Jesus sent out instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and as you pro- and proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then he gives these commands, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Jesus had given them the authority and the power over both the spiritual and physical. And here's what I would like you to reflect. In our day and age, we often focus just on the physical healing which is fine, right? 
it's good to focus on the physical healing. There's often a spiritual component to that as well. And we need to be able to pray and treat, so to speak, the whole person. You know, AA, when it first started off, was not just the physical, it was really the spiritual, and it was a belief in Jesus. But it's gotten watered down now, so it's a belief in whatever higher power you may want, even if it's a dog or a doorknob or something like that. And I'm not trying to denigrate AA, but it lost the healing of Jesus. Does that make sense? So we have to really have the, we focus on the physical, but it's also the spiritual healing that comes from Jesus. So, but the disciples, they couldn't understand what was going on. You know, they had been on the mountaintop, mountaintop of glory, but now they come into a valley, a valley of faithlessness. Jesus said, Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. I mean, here we actually really do get a glimpse of the annoyance, the pain, the indignation that Jesus has with those around him. The word, oh, is like an exclamation. Oh, faithless and twisted generation. And by the way, he's not just talking about the father or the scribes. He's talking about everybody who was around him. You see, the people's minds and hearts were not set on the kingdom of God. They had not put their full trust in Jesus. You see, what happens is when you don't put your full trust in Jesus, when your heart is not on him, it turns inward on itself. Rather than God, we focus on our thoughts, our feelings, our actions. And when we turn inward rather than to Him, our faith becomes twisted, perverted. And in many ways, you take a look at our nation right now, it is turned in on itself. We live in a culture that is faithless and twisted. We've turned away from God and His divine providence. Rather than hearts of flesh, as we talked about last week, there are many hearts of stone. So Jesus says this, How long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Commentator William Hendrickson says, by saying this, Jesus shows that it was painful for him to put up with those who lack faith, with those who disbelieve. You and I often think that God, or actually, not necessarily you and I, but many people throughout the world think that God is indifferent to how and what people believe. Like God just doesn't care. I believe, I don't believe. But God is not indifferent to what you believe or to whom you believe. So Jesus, right, he, this is a rebuke, isn't it? If you think that Jesus never rebuked people, he did, and here it is. 
How long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? I don't know if they felt the sting of that rebuke, but it certainly caught their attention. And sometimes God rebukes each and every one of us because that's the way He gets our attention. Sometimes we need to be rebuked. He says, put your faith in me. Come back to me. You see, unfortunately for most people, God is the last resort, right? God's the last resort. When things don't work out after we've tried our hardest, tried our best, then we cry out to God, oh, why, why isn't this working? Well, you've put your faith in yourself first and foremost, not in God. You see, Jesus said, bring him to me. And we should all hear that. All your troubles, all your cares, all your worries, all your difficulties, bring him first to Jesus. Peter wrote this, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. There's the song, cry out to Jesus. And that should be our first cry, not our last cry, because in Christ Jesus, storms are calmed, people are healed, demons are cast out, and souls are restored. So Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of them, and the boy was healed instantly. But the disciples still couldn't comprehend this. They still didn't understand. It says this, verse 19 of our reading. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? He said to them, Because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith of a gr- faith like the grain of a mustard seed, You will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, for nothing will be impossible for you. So Jesus answers their question very clearly. Why couldn't you cast it out? Because of your little faith. So some raise the question, right? Well, how big does my faith have to be? Is the size of my faith the issue? Do I have to have a big faith? And the answer is no. It's not the size of your faith. Jesus says, For truly I say to you, if you have faith like the grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. So here we finally come to these little vials that we have with mustard seeds. And if you haven't picked one up yet, Pick one up as a reminder and feel free to give them out. Faith like the grain of a mustard seed. So size isn't the issue, is it? You see, a lot of people are confused about that. They believe that the size of my faith gives me power. And so you see a lot of so-called faith healers 
who they're up on this big old grand stage and they're waving the arms and I say, in the name of Jesus, right? You've seen all that, right? I can barely, it makes me almost ill to see some of that, even to give an example of that. And people think, oh, their faith must be so big. But that's not the case at all. That's not what Jesus says. It's not that bigness of faith. Rather, it is this commentator, as K. Weber wrote, this true faith is an admission of powerlessness and dependence on God's power. True faith says, I can't do anything by myself. It's Him who does everything. Go back to the wheelbarrow example, right? Was it your faith that would give Charles Blodin the skill to carry you across in a wheelbarrow? No, it's his ability, right? Our faith says, I can't go out. By the way, remember even talking about the tightrope, 160 feet gives me sweaty palms. So it's not my faith. But who do you have faith in? In this case, everything. With Christ Jesus, I have faith in Him who can move the mountains. You know, a lot of people don't like this message. That true faith is an admission of powerlessness and a dependence on God's power. We fight, we rebel at that message. We want to be full of our power and our might. And this is called pride. Pride says, I can do it apart from God. Pride says, I don't need God. Pride says, I get the glory. Look at what I have done. But what does faith actually say? Faith says, I can do nothing apart from God. It is God who has the power and God gets the glory. Pride only brings sin and death. Faith in Jesus brings life and life everlasting. So, Jesus is saying, you had faith this small. It means let go of your pride. Let go of trying to accomplish something without me. And put your trust in me. You see, faith is confidence in God, and it is taking God at His word. So I have a little video I'm going to show you. And I think it explains this, and it's very appropriate given that we are in the midst of a very hot summer right now. So here's a little video. Okay. Okay. Oh, man. Oh, man. Kind of a hot day, you oh, think? Yeah. So hot! Oh. Woo! What? Like three months and no rain is called uh, a drought, right? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Oh, that is right. What are we doing out here? Oh, okay, guys. I, I just thought we should meet and pray for rain. Oh, that's a great idea. Okay? Oh, yeah. I mean, it can't oh, hurt. Hey, right. come on. So, get on with it, man. Okay, so uh, join hands. Oh, okay. Prayer works better that way. Okay. <laughs> no, I got air conditioning All right. here. All right, uh, dear God, oh, Lord, God. Lord, you could just please make it rain. Oh, yes, please. please. And please. bring something cold to drink. Yeah. Oh, like yes. water. Remember Noah, because it's so hot. Yes, it is. Water, hot. please. Amen. Uh, amen.
I think that went well. Amen. Uh, uh, <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. I pitted out a perfectly good trip for a 10-second prayer. Thanks uh, for coming out. Okay. I'll, I'll see you at the Bible study, Drew. I'm out of here. Okay. Uh, what are you doing? Oh, waiting for the rain. <laughs> Laura, uh, take, take a look up there. I want you to see that there's just a blue sky with right. no clouds. I think that means no rain. Right. Remember, we just prayed about this. So. Oh, I know. We just prayed for rain. So, you know, the clouds are going to come and then it's going to rain and you're going to get wet. Are you new to this whole praying thing? Oh, no. No, no, no. <laughs> well, let me explain this to you. Um, I wouldn't be counting on the rain. Oh, well, maybe it's not the rain you should be counting on. Faith is confidence in God. It is taking God at his word. Do you have faith like that? Do you have faith that moves mountains? Now, let's be clear about this. When Jesus says you will have faith that, move, that will move a mountain, nowhere in Scripture do we find anybody with their faith Moving a mountain, an actual mountain. What do we take mountain to mean? An impossible task. Something so big that it would be impossible for us to do. We understand that as a, as a figure of speech. And there are some things that we don't do, right? Because it's too monumental. It's too big for us to do. So, in this case, we pray to him who can move mountains. And Jesus, and we pray for his will to be done, and Jesus will do what is necessary to fulfill his will. Now, I want to put another caution in here. You see, people misinterpret things. It says this, If you have faith like grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. So they think everything is possible if they just pray in the name of Jesus. In fact, John chapter 14, Jesus said, Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now, is this just carte blanche? That means that God will do anything for you? If you just pray in the name of Jesus? And the answer is no. Because what does it mean to pray in the name of Jesus? See, when you say the name of Jesus, you're talking about the Son of God, God Himself. God who is holy, who is righteous, who is pure, who is fully just. I mean, we can go on and on and on with all the attributes of God. So when you are praying in His name, you are praying for His will to be done. That is consistent with His will. So if you're praying for things like you're at the casino and you're praying in the name of Jesus to win the big pot, whatever that might be, I don't think that Jesus honors such things. Or you're praying for adultery. I mean, there was 
true story. There's, there was a, a woman, and she was unhappy with her husband, and she was trying to, she had her eye on another guy, and she opened up the Bible, and she was reading, and it says, put on the new man. And so she thought, well, God must then approve that I will put on the new man. No, you don't do that. That's not in his will. You pray for his will to be done. You see, biblical, biblical faith assumes not only a belief in God's power, but also a heart after God's own heart. A heart which desires and asks for the things of God. So biblical faith submits my will to his. That he has the power to move mountains. You see, it's not the amount of faith that works miracles. It's the focus on our faith, the focus of our faith on Jesus who works miracles through us according to his will. So our focus is really easily turned inward, like if I just pray harder, right? Anybody done that? I just pray harder with a little more fervency, like to try to have a bigger mustard seed. Then it will happen. But it's the full submission on him who can move mountains. That I can do nothing, but for Christ Jesus, for God, nothing is impossible. Everything is possible in him according to his will. So this is why, by, by the way, Paul, in his ministry of sharing the Gospels to the Gentiles, that was an impossible mountain, by the way. A ministry in which he was mocked, he was jailed, he was beaten, he was cold, he was hungry. He could write this. This is from Philippians chapter 4. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. God has called us by faith and he sends us out in the valley to be able to share his love, his grace, and his mercy. And that's possible only through Christ Jesus who strengthens us. You, Janine wants to interject something uh, carefully. <laughs> Or we can tunnel through. Faith can move mountains. Sometimes God will, when he, sometimes God will give you a shovel. Right? But this actually goes perfectly, so I'll run with it, okay? So sometimes things are truly impossible, but God will equip you to do the work. See, sometimes we want to say, oh, God, you just do that. I'm going to sit back. Look, if God hands you a shovel, dig. Right? Do the work. I'll go with that. So, do you have faith that move do you have faith in him who can move mountains? Four things to consider. Turn to Jesus 
before you begin your work. Focus not on the size of your faith, but on Him for whom all things are possible. Sometimes it means also confessing any sin that might be a stumbling block. And then pray and ask in faith. So the prayer might be like this. I'm a sinner through and through, and I'm saved by your grace, Jesus. I trust in you, knowing that you hear our prayers. And Jesus, I've got a mountain to be moved. I pray, I pray before you to move this mountain. I don't know how to do it. It looks impossible to me. Yet I know if it is your will, all things are possible. So I'm placing my full trust in you. All my doubt, all my fears, I turn them over to you. Let me be an instrument of your will. Use me as you desire. And in all of this, Jesus, let your glory be seen. Let your majesty be known. And thank you, Lord Jesus, for in your name I do pray. Amen.